Thank you so much, praise team. Well, this is the weekend all Canadians from East Coast to West Coast set aside to be thankful, or at least to act thankful, right? And, um, and that's what we do, you know, and some years we have to admit it's, it's pretty easy to do. Life's good. Lots of good things are happening in your life, and you're like, yes, I, it's, man, it's easy to be thankful. Other years, not so easy to be thankful. Hardship, loss, stress, boy, it can make it sure hard to be thankful. So my question uh, to you, if I can ask, is what kind of year has it been for you? And as you enter into this weekend, is it easy to be thankful? Or is it kind of hard to be thankful? You know, when we come into a weekend like this with the expectation to be thankful, sometimes joy and thanksgiving can feel rather artificial. Wouldn't you agree? You know, because it's just expected. And, you know, and, and you, so it leaves you kind of thinking, well, I guess I just got to stuff my pain. I got to just deny my hurts and just be thankful for the sake of other people. Maybe not a bad thing, but it kind of makes you wonder, is it really possible to have real joy and thanksgiving, even when everything in your life is falling apart? You know, while in our Canadian culture we are told to be thankful this weekend, I want to share with you God's Word tells you how real lasting joy and thanksgiving can come into your heart no matter what. And I want you just to listen uh, to the word of the Lord this morning, for what it has uh, to say about that. This is Philippians uh, 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. You know, this passage answers three really important questions. It answers what you can have, what you can actually really have in your life. But what keeps you often from having it, but three, how you can actually really get it into your life. Okay, so three questions we're going to kind of frame our study on this morning. What you can have. Now notice in verse 4, you are told to rejoice when? Always. It's a bit of a stunning statement, isn't it? It means all the time, no matter what, rejoice. It's almost like he realizes you're like, say what? And this is why he says, you heard me. <laughs> you got that right. That's exactly what I'm saying. Rejoice always. You see, what, what you're be, what's being revealed here? is that it is possible for you and I to possess such an inner joy, right? Such an inner happiness 
that it can lead you to rejoice no matter what is happening in your life. What's being described as possible? Unconditional joy. Wow, you heard me. Unconditional joy. Now, I know that sounds hard to believe, but the person who wrote these words is living proof it's possible. Because the person who wrote those words was the Apostle Paul. And what you may not know is that when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it in prison. Really, actually, he was under house arrest in Rome, a lot of people believe. That's the context he wrote. His freedom lost, his future uncertain. Paul had faced uh, abandonment, betrayal by close friends, persecution, suffering, countless hardships. And yet, he's the one that says rejoice always because that's what he's doing. Wow. Let me ask you, if you saw a person rejoicing under those certain circumstances, wouldn't you think they were nuts? You know, everything's gone, or, and they're rejoicing. You'd go, you'd probably think, in a nice way, you're a lunatic, or you've lost touch with reality. Right? That's what we would assume. Because you look at your life. Why, why are you smiling? Why are you singing? Right? Now, Paul was neither crazy out of his mind or out of touch with reality. I'd say, Paul, would you agree? Most sane person who ever lived. Most sane person on the lip. So how did he have joy under those kind of circumstances? Well, notice, if you, if you look carefully, notice he tells you the nature and cause of his rejoicing. Because he says, rejoice in what? The Lord. Now, you've got to see that. He's not saying, rejoice in you. Rejoice in your life. Rejoice in all the things that are happening in your life. Rejoice always in that. That would be nuts. But he doesn't say that. He says, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, what is that? Rejoice because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That is a source of always joy, is what he is saying, right? Now, how is that? And I want to say, what is it, right? Rejoice because of your relationship. And you kind of have to look back in the text to kind of find the end. Why is that such a source of ongoing rejoicing? And if you go back to chapter 3, right, you'll find the exact same command in verse 1 saying, which is rejoice, rejoice always. And then he goes on to tell you why. And you know what chapter 3 is about? What Jesus Christ has done for you. See, what we don't understand is, listen, Jesus Christ came into this world to do something for you, amen? He came in to do, not just to live his own life and, and die, and, and that was, he came for you to do something through his life to make your life utterly different. That's what chapter 3 is all about. And in chapter 3, we're just, it just skims the surface of what it is, it's about, can I just say a couple things about that, right? The first thing is because of what has happened to you through Jesus Christ. Listen, him coming into this world, him dying, him rising, him coming again, all of that is for you. To put you in a completely different situation. That's what chapter 3 is about. And one of the things, for example, he tells you is in verse 9. 
a big source of rejoicing is that through Christ we get a righteousness not of our own making, but a perfect righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, do you realize what that's saying to you? You and I don't have to try to get right with God in our own strength, which would be a source of untold stress and misery because none of us could do it. None of us could make ourselves right in our own strength through the law. And what Paul recognized is that Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect righteous life, never did anything wrong, had a perfect right standing with God. Amen? A son of God, right to the end. And he gives you that place and that position as a gift. You are right with God. Do you realize what that means? You're not wrong before God. If I can put it that simply. You're not in a wrong place. God is not someone to fear anymore. Judgment's been removed from your life. You no longer stand before him as a sinner. You stand before him as a son, as a daughter. Loved, accepted, as much as Jesus was loved and accepted. Amen? That's what you got now. And Paul's thinking about that. That's the relationship. That's the benefit of the relationship that he's thinking about that makes him rejoice. And that's just one thing, friends. There's like a hundred things like that if we set our minds to it. But notice too, because of what will happen to you, because it's like, it gets better. Because the work of Christ is going to surpass this present life to the next life. That's what eternal life's all about. Because what what we get to anticipate, yes, we will die physically, but that's not the end. Because you know what the end is? Resurrection life. You'll be raised forever to be with the Lord. To be with him in the new heaven, the new earth, forever. Chapter 3 talks about that. We're citizens of his glory. It's awesome. What we have in Christ, what we will have in Christ. You see, what you have in Christ through your relationship with Jesus is the most precious thing in your life. Can I have an amen? And you know why? It can never be lost or taken from you. It doesn't go up and down like life. Right? Do you notice that everything in life, the good things you have now, that you rejoice in now, you'll lose. It's, you know, it's hard to admit. Like every good thing in our life that you rejoice in right now, one day will be taken from you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And that's why you can't rejoice always in this life, but you can in the Lord. Because you can't lose what you have in him, right? And notice we're also told the Lord is near. See that? Now, no one really knows if it means one of two things. It can mean he is with you. His presence abides with you with the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave you or forsake you. That's one possible meaning, amen? Or his coming is near. He's going to come soon to fulfill all things. You know what I think it is? It's both. Why not say it's both? Because both are true, amen? He's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And he's coming again, and I think it's sooner than you think. Hey, To fulfill everything that he's promised you. Wow. See, the reason why worldly joy is so fleeting, why it's so volatile, is because everything that you have can be lost in this world. And it will be. But not what you have in Christ. It can never be taken. Never be lost. What you have, who you are, and what you will have. It's forever, friends. That's, what we can, that's why we can have unconditional joy, right? Unconditional joy. 
We rejoice in the Lord. Now, what keeps you from having it? And maybe you're thinking, this is, Peter, this is true, this is true, but why so often don't I feel joy? Why is it so often I don't feel like rejoicing? What's going on? Well, the reason we're told is that there's something that is actually preventing us from experiencing it, right? See, what this text shows is it's possible to be in Christ, to be a Christian, to have all the blessings of Christ in your life, and yet not experience that joy, not feeling like rejoicing. It's possible to be that. And we know it's possible, not just because of the text, but we know it's possible because that's exactly our situation at times. Can I have an amen? Like, that's true, isn't it? Now, what's the reason? Why is it? And I want to suggest the text tells us fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. Anxiety and fear is pervasive in our world. It's everywhere and in anyone. Would you agree? It's everywhere. We're obsessed with anxiety. We're obsessed with fear. Everyone has it. You know, and you know this. When you get fear and anxiety, it is an overwhelming, controlling emotion. It overwhelms you. It doesn't matter what has been there. When fear and anxiety, it just wipes out what was there previous. You know, the word anxiety, you know what the literal meaning is? To strangle. To suffocate. And you know, when that comes into you, it's exactly what it does. It just suffocates you. It strangles out joy in thanksgiving. It's a joy killer. Anxiety and fear. But as bad as anxiety and fear is, it's only symptomatic of something much worse. It's symptomatic of something much worse. It's symptomatic of a life without God. I'm going to say it again. It's symptomatic of a life without God. You know, fear and anxiety did not exist at the beginning of creation. Do you realize that? When God made us, there was no fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety came later. When did it come later? When we turned away from God, when we turned away from God went our own way, that's when the experience of fear and anxiety came into the human condition. And we all got it now, right? You know, the Bible calls a life without God the natural life. The natural life. A natural life is a life without God. We understand about the naturalistic view of things. Have you heard that term? Naturalism, the naturalistic view of life, which basically says there is no God, there is no spiritual realm. The physical realm is all there is. It's the ultimate thing. And there's three features of the natural life that I just want to share with you. Look at it. The three features of the natural life. First, independence. In other words, you're alone in this world. Oh, there's other people around you. But isn't it possible to be surrounded by people and still feel utterly alone? Oh, yeah, independence. That's a big feature of the naturalistic life. You're essentially on your own in this world. But also notice self-reliance. You have to deal with all of life's challenges in your own strength. Day after day after day. It's all on you. Self-reliance. Every day, you have to muster the will, the strength, the wisdom to deal with all of life's issues, self-reliance. That's the natural life, right? And notice this too. Physical realm is ultimate. That means this physical life 
is the only life you get. There is nothing else. And if you lose something in this physical life, you lose it for how long? Forever. Now, do you realize what that mentality does and how it generates fear and anxiety? Let me ask you, how does it feel to be utterly alone? That's very fearful. We fear loneliness. We fear abandonment. We, we're terrified of standing alone. Or, or self-reliance, you know, trying to face all the problems. What if you feel like, I don't have the, what it takes to face it? What, and you're thinking about things that will happen, saying, I, I couldn't handle that. That's going to create tremendous fear and anxiety. Or if you think that this life is all you get, that means the relationships you have, the stuff you have, the jobs you have, that's all you're ever going to get. And if it's lost, it's lost forever. Do you realize the fear and the worry that will come into your heart with that view? So the natural life generates and energizes fear and anxiety. And what this text shows us, it is possible to be a born-again Christian, to have spiritual life, to be a new person in Christ, and still live with fear and anxiety. Why is that? And the reason is this, because we are still thinking, acting, and behaving like a natural person. While you aren't just a natural person, you're a spiritual person in Christ. Can I have an amen? You're told, but it's still easy to act and think like nothing has really changed and still act and think like a natural person, which is why we experience fear and anxiety. And, and, it's, and listen, I'm not beating you up for that because it's so easy to think and act like a natural person today. For, first of all, probably a good portion of your life, you live that way. You were just taught to live that way. Everyone around you lives that way, don't they? Everyone, you're surrounded by a culture and a world that lives that way. And so what that means, every morning you start your day, you know what my default setting is in yours every morning? The natural life. You don't have to think to be in that. And that's why we can actually default into that and then through that experience a whole pile of fear and anxiety, Right? You see, while we're in Christ, it's easy to live in a very natural way, which is why you have to access the life in Christ that you have. It's present in you, but there's something you have to do to access the life of Christ. See, in John chapter 15, verse 5, we're given this analogy. Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you're the what again? What are you the branches, right, okay, thank you. Okay, and, and it's an analogy saying Christ is the life-giving vine. You have no life in and of yourself. It's only as you are grafted into the vine that you get life, right? And when you become a Christian, you are grafted into the vine. But then Jesus says something interesting. Even though you are grafted into me and I now, we have a life-giving relationship, you must abide in me. You got to abide. In other words, there's something you got to do to get that life and to walk in that life. And that's what we need to talk about right now. Okay, So we know what we can have, what keeps us from having it, but how do we get it? And notice what we're told here. There's two things I think that, that you have to do to access the life of Christ. You have to go 
and you got to know. You got to go and you got to know. First, you got to go to God in prayer. Notice, with thanksgiving. We're going to get to that. We are told to pray for anything and everything. It's like when life comes at you, and life's coming at you all the time. You, you have no way of stopping that. Stuff is going to happen to you tomorrow morning, later today. Stuff's going to happen to you. Life's going to come at you, right? And what does the natural person do in response to that reality? They freak out. Fear and anxiety. But not the spiritual person. Because the spiritual person doesn't react in fear and anxiety. The spiritual man, the spiritual woman responds in prayer, in everything, right? No matter what happens to you, pray. Someone once said, nothing is too great for his power and nothing is too small for his fatherly care, right? Now, notice the connection between prayer and thanksgiving. Do you see that? Prayer with thanksgiving. You got to put the two together. I was, I've never really seen that before. I just thought you pray and then be thankful here. Actually saying you've got to do both together. Now, why is that? I was reading one commentator. Uh, his name's Gordon Fee. And he, 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 he comments on this. And it, he says something that really got me thinking. Because he writes that when you pray with thanksgiving, it puts both your life and the life of God in proper perspective. Do you realize prayer is a perspective? It reflects a worldview, a way of seeing yourself, a way of seeing God. Do you realize that? Like, you know what prayer, when you pray, do you know what you are saying when you pray? I'm not alone. Amen? I'm not alone. I don't have to do life on my own. There is a God in my life who now through Jesus is my Father in heaven. And he says, he'll never leave me for a second. You're not alone. The, the minute you go to prayer, you're being cognizant. I'm not alone. Right? And what you're also saying about yourself, I am needy. I can't do life on my own. Do you know, prayer, every time you pray, it, pray it's an admission of something. It's an admission of your inerrant weakness to face life on your own. Can I have an amen? Isn't that true, though? Isn't that reality? When you pray, you're saying, I don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough, God. Oh, but you are. And you'll give me all of this. That's what, that's what prayer is. But notice, when you, when you combine it with thanksgiving, you are saying, God is good, and everything that I have, everything he gives me is a gift. Everything. Do you know when you are with a thankful posture in prayer, you're, you're recognizing you didn't earn the good stuff. You don't give thanks when you earn something. When I get paid at the end of the week, I go, thank you so much. <laughs> Part of me is like, I work for that baby, right? And so do you. But thanksgiving is, what? No way. Wow. I don't deserve that. But thank you. Isn't that the spirit of thanksgiving? That's our relationship with God. You know, when you thank God all the time, you're recognizing that God deals with you by his grace. Everything's a gift. Everything he gives you is a gift. Every blessing you have comes as a, as a, as a gift. 
And when you thank God, you're thanking him as the one who doesn't, isn't turned off by your weakness and helplessness. He's attracted to it. He came into this world because he knows you're weak and helpless. You know, I think one of the biggest things that causes us to experience fear and anxiety is our lack of confidence in the goodness of God. We just don't trust it. The hard things are happening. We're like, what's God doing? Is it going off the rails? What's he doing? Like, you know, and, but when we spend time in thanksgiving, when you're thanking, thanking, thanking him in all things, it connects you to the goodness of God because you're reminded everything's a gift. He deals with me by his amazing grace. I still remember the first time I really experienced this in a powerful way. I was pastoring on the West Coast. I can't remember all the stuff that was happening, but I, I was in a moment of personal panic. Have you ever almost been on the verge of a panic attack where everything's coming at you and you feel so overwhelmed, it's like you, you think you're, you're just going to crash. And I had this moment, I'm driving, and I'm overwhelmed, and I just started praying. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said just two words to me. He said, eternal life, Peter. I, and all of a sudden I realized I have eternal life. And if the worst thing that were to happen is I'm going to die, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Because I'll know I'll be with the Lord forever. And when the Spirit said that to me, it's like a wave of peace came into my heart. It just, it, it just annihilated the fear. First time I ever experienced that. Wow. You know, it... It is to pray. As life comes out, you pray, you pray, you pray, and you give thanks together, right? And that's how you deal with it. Now, notice also what you're supposed to do. Know the goodness of Jesus Christ. You've got to go to God in prayer with thanksgiving, but you also need to fill your thoughts with the goodness of Jesus. Let me just read verse 8 again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Do you notice how often the Bible puts an emphasis on your thoughts and controlling your thoughts? Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like The Bible puts a lot of emphasis on your thoughts, and here's why. Your mind is the gateway to your emotions. It's the gateway to your emotions. The reason you feel something is because you've thought something. Right? You feel something because you thought something. Emotions result from what you think about. In other words, you become what you behold. Right? Don't, listen, do not underestimate the power of your thought life and how it can shape your life. Your mind is the portal to your inner condition. It really is. And notice you're given eight virtues to consider. And I've looked at this before many times. And, and, and I want you to consider, if I can say this, what all of these eight things have in common for a minute. Because they all reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you agree? See, and I want you to think this. Like I don't think we're being told simply to reflect on eight characteristics that are nebulous and think about this and, and it's kind of hard to think what is, what is noble whatever is good but listen when you see Jesus Christ in that he personifies every one of those characteristics you don't have to think of some nebulous quality you're called to think about a person who reflects perfectly those things right listen you know 
the whole reason the Bible was written, it wasn't written to give you principles so that you can save yourself. The Bible was written to give you a person who came into this world to save you. The Bible is written for you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. To know that he saved you. He lived the perfect life that we needed to live to be saved. But he lived it for you to give you salvation as a gift. Right? You know, as I said earlier, we, one of the reasons we, we experience a lot of fear and anxiety is we have a hard time trusting in the goodness of God. But listen, when you know the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, it'll transform your view of the goodness of God. Because when you understand Jesus is God come into this world, he came into this world for you, amen? How good is God? He came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He's coming again for you. He's preparing a place for you. I can go on and on. What an awesome God, amen? And when you start meditating on Jesus Christ, you are instantly meditating on the unfathomable goodness of God for you. It'll change your whole view of the goodness of God. Now, listen to the accompanying promise that we are given. When, you, when, you, when life comes at you and you are praying with thanksgiving, you're setting your mind on Christ, right? That's what you're focusing on. Notice to the accompanying promise. When we pray, when we do this, notice that the peace of God will come into your heart. So this is actually twice. It says in verse 7 and verse 9. And notice, very importantly, the peace of God isn't the peace because God gave you the answer of prayer that you wanted. Notice that's not the source of the peace. In fact, the peace of God has nothing to do with the answer. Isn't that interesting? You know, we often think that, go, you know, if I pray for this and God gives me that, that's the source of peace. That's not the peace. It has nothing to do with the answer. So what is it? It is God's own peace. Do you realize God has peace within himself? It's God's shalom, his peace. Notice it isn't a peace based on human reasoning because it's God's peace. You can't talk yourself into this kind of peace, Right? You can't conceive of it. It's God's peace resulting, his own peace resulting from his infinite power and wisdom in controlling all things and bringing all things to produce the eternal good that he wants. That's the peace of God. It's, someone once said, God is ruling our universe from a recliner. It's Jesus in the boat in the storm sleeping like a baby. He's, Jesus isn't freaking out at all this stuff. He is at total peace because he's controlling all things. He knows where it's all going to go. Amen? That's the peace of God that can come into your heart. Right? And notice it'll guard your heart. It, literally, the word means to place sentries around your heart. Protect you from what? Guard you from what? Fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. It's like what you're told here is, listen, when life comes at you and you respond in prayer and thanksgiving, and when you put your eyes on Christ, you're seeing Christ, you're not seeing the trial, you're saying, I'm not going to focus, I'm going to focus on Christ, all that he is, all that I am in him, a peace will come into you. And a peace that transcends your understanding, you won't even, it'll come into your heart and will overcome the fear and anxiety. That's the promise we're given here. And once that peace comes into your heart, joy can come into your heart. 
and the ability to express that rejoicing. That's what we're told here. Now, let's finish up here. A couple questions to consider. First is, you know, so I've been talking about the natural person versus the spiritual person. I think a question we all have to really ask ourselves is, am I really a natural person? Maybe you are. And listen, you are if you've never called upon Jesus Christ to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. If you've not had that definitive moment with God where you've called on your name, friends, I don't mean to be offensive, but you're a natural person. Because you haven't been born again of God through the Holy Spirit. That only happens when you call on the name of Jesus. So my question is, has that happened for you? Are you just a natural person? And you don't have to stay a natural person. Man, you can call on the name of the Lord right now this morning. Amen. And become that spiritual person. Question to consider. Another question is, maybe you're here and you know you've done that. You've called on the name. You are that spiritual person but you have been living, thinking, and acting like a natural person, and you know it because your life is filled with fear and anxiety. And if that's the case, can I encourage you, be the spiritual person you already are. Start thinking, living, and acting that God is always with you, that he has got your life in his hands, that he's going to bless you, he's going to change and transform your life. Start living and thinking and acting like the spiritually blessed person in Christ that you really are. Let's pray. I can invite the praise team to come, but let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Because what you show us we can have, oh Lord, it's, it's truly beautiful. And it's desirable. And all of us, Lord, sitting here today, recognize how much fear and anxiety does come into our life and how it does choke out the joy we so long to have. And so, Father, today we choose to be the spiritual men and women that we actually are. And we choose today to believe all that your word says about who we are in Christ and what we will have in Christ one day. Jesus, we confess to you that the reason sometimes we have fear and anxiety is that we have made things other than you our life. And we've looked to other things to be the source of our life instead of you. Forgive us. And we ask you to come back and to have that rightful place in the center of our life. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And we love you and we thank you for all that we have in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people together said, Amen. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord.